listening to West Virginia Week, a regular podcast from West Virginia Public Broadcasting that looks back at the major stories of the week. I'm your host this week, Chris Schultz. This week, we'll hear about prosecutors on the trail of illegally obtained COVID-19 relief funds, communities grappling with the loss of pharmacies, and we learn some of the early warning signs of dementia. Let's jump right in with a few short news stories. Senator Shelley Moore Capito had some pointed questions for the Postmaster General about West Virginia's mail processing center. Randy Yoey has more. Faced with downsizing, the United States Postal Service is conducting a review of the mail processing and distribution center in South Charleston and its 800 jobs. While Postmaster General Louis DeJoy has said there will not be layoffs at the facility, Capito says people can read between the lines on what that might really mean. Are you going to be transferring jobs and you're not going to get laid off, but you have to move? Uh, are you going to bring other jobs in that are lower paying jobs that you can take and therefore nobody would get laid off? I mean, you can see there's a lot of gray area there. Capitol wants answers to those questions in the next week. There is an upcoming public meeting scheduled on the facility review. The Postal Workers Union is staging informational pickets on Thursday and Saturday. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. Mountaineer Gas Company filed a lawsuit against West Virginia American Water Company Monday in response to a three-week gas outage on the west side of Charleston. Brianna Heaney has more. When a West Virginia American water main ruptured on November 10th, water flooded Mountaineer Gas lines, leaving around 1,500 residents without access to natural gas. Hundreds of residents had appliances damaged or destroyed, which Mountaineer Gas is currently having replaced or fixed. Mountaineer Gas blames the outage on the failure of West Virginia American Waters facilities. Mountaineer Gas demands in their lawsuit that all the cost of the gas outage be paid for by the water company. West Virginia American Water says that any speculation on the cause of its main water line break or the gas outage is premature until an investigation is complete. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. An agency tasked with operating West Virginia's 911 centers has filed a complaint against Frontier West Virginia Incorporated. Emily Rice has more. The Public Service Commission was asked Wednesday to investigate a complaint that 10 emergency call centers were unable to field 911 calls for up to 10 hours during a three-day period last month. Dean Meadows is the executive director of the E911 Council, the umbrella agency that operates 911 centers in the state. Normally, in a situation like that, their calls can be rerouted, but the, that plan failed to reroute the calls to another county or another, or another 911 center. So because that plan failed, that put 235,000 residents in, the West, in West Virginia without the ability to call 911. So that's 13% of the population. The Public Service Commission said it cannot comment on pending investigations. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Three of the four leading Republican candidates for governor debated over taxes, economic development, leadership, and more Thursday evening. Randy Yowie has the story. The hour-long debate on WV Metro News featured Secretary of State Mac Warner, Huntington businessman Chris Miller, and Delegate Moore Capito. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey declined the debate invitation, instead counter-programming his own issue statements on social media. Springboarding on what they think should come next, after Governor Jim Justice's 21 and a quarter percent personal income tax cut, 
Miller said West Virginia should quickly join the state's prospering with zero personal income tax. If we are going to grow West Virginia's economy and we are going to grow West Virginia's population to save the financial catastrophe that's coming, we have to accelerate the zero income tax. Warner said future tax cuts should be made cautiously, fearing surpluses won't be around forever. And so that's why I like the legislature getting in there as a, uh, a regulator to make sure it doesn't happen too fast. We have problems with teacher retention. We have problems with correction for attention. Uh, the medical examiner, uh, all the first responders, volunteer fire departments, we don't have a surplus. We should be spending that money and making sure those people are brought up to speed. Capito said the state should stay the course it's on regarding accelerated tax reduction. We've put in place a predictable tax reduction plan that can be accelerated if the economy continues to grow that it, the way that it does. And if we continue the pro-growth strategy that we've put in place. All three candidates agreed that transgender students should only be allowed to participate in sports that align with the gender that they were assigned at birth. And all three candidates also said they would forsake the current Justice Administration online press briefings with limited media questions for in-person press conferences where reporters can ask follow-ups. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yoey in Charleston. Union members at Cabell Huntington Hospital are calling for, quote, code blue attention to be paid to its understaffing issues. Emily Rice has more. Nurse and nurse practitioners at Cabell Huntington Hospital are asking for the community's support for dignity, respect, and fairness for all employees at the facility. The Service Employees International Union Chapter 1199 claims there are more than 200 registered nurse vacancies at Cabell Huntington Hospital and that the quality of care is suffering. Joyce Gibson is the union representative who represents 1,000 registered nurses at Cabell Huntington Hospital. Well, I think burnout from mandatory overtime and being understaffed along with unaffordable health care, you know, premium cuts from the employer has contributed to a major factor. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. You're listening to West Virginia Week. And now, some of our top feature stories from the past week. Illegally obtaining COVID-19 relief funds is being called the greatest fraud of our generation. One of the frontliners in investigating COVID fraud is Northern West Virginia U.S. Attorney William Elenfeld. Randy Yoey spoke with the federal prosecutor about the extent of this crime against taxpayers and how the public can help fight back. The thumbnail definition of COVID fraud, I guess, is the illegal use of government relief funds distributed during the pandemic. So what are the particulars of this crime? COVID fraud, as we call it, comes in a variety of different ways. And uh, we we look at it from the perspective of paycheck pro- protection program loans that were filed fraudulently uh, we we look at it from the perspective of people who were collecting supplemental unemployment insurance uh, uh illegally uh and uh through other types of fraud related to the pandemic. Uh, A tremendous amount of money was pushed out by the Congress uh, during that time period, and many people took advantage of it. It's the greatest fraud of our generation. But I I will tell you, Randy, our our greatest focus has been on the PPP loans uh, because there were over 16,000 of them issued in the Northern District of West Virginia. 
and we've identified a large amount of fraud, and we are pursuing those matters either through criminal action or civil action, and sometimes there's a combination. Uh, in addition, we're working closely with Workforce West Virginia to identify those who took advantage of the unemployment insurance that was being pushed out and collected benefits to which they were not entitled. What's a PPP loan? So the PPP loan, uh, which stands for Paycheck Protection Program, was rolled out by Congress, and the purpose was to help businesses stay open but allow their employees to stay at home. And we've seen many instances where people receive these PPP loans but didn't use the money for one of the permissible purposes. For example, someone uh, might have purchased a new automobile for them, their own personal use instead of using the money uh, for its intended purpose. Then we've also had uh, a, a number of cases where individuals misrepresented the size of their payroll or the number of their employees in order to get a larger loan than what they were really entitled to. James Nolte of Bridgeport was recently sentenced to prison for COVID fraud. Talk about his case. Yes, uh, Mr. Nolte was sentenced recently to 21 months in federal prison and ordered to pay back over $680,000 in restitution. He is a nurse practitioner from Bridgeport, West Virginia, who took advantage of the system. He applied for PPP loans for uh, businesses that he created. And not only did he create the, the businesses, he created uh, a, a false payroll. He listed as employees relatives of his uh, to include his 10-year-old stepson. And he listed that his 10-year-old stepson was being paid $100,000 a year. He also listed his deceased father as an employee of one of his businesses and indicated that his deceased father was receiving a six-figure salary as well. And we obtained an indictment. He pled guilty to that indictment, and now he's headed off to federal prison, and he'll have to reimburse the federal government for the money that he stole. What's the process for your team in investigating COVID fraud? We are looking through thousands of, of these loans. So our COVID fraud analyst and the rest of the team are looking for a number of things to to identify fraudulent loans. We're looking to see if this business was actually registered. Uh, we're checking with the Secretary of State's website to see if it is actually a real business. Uh, we're looking to see how many employees they listed on their application and to see if that number of employees is consistent with what a business of that type would typically have. So for example, if somebody claims that they're running a barbershop, which might have a few employees, um, typically, but they list that their barbershop has 25 employees, well, then that's a red flag for us, obviously. Do you think there's a lot more of these fraudulent loans out there? I do. Uh, and fortunately, Congress extended the statute of limitations for the bringing of these cases to 10 years. And so we have a lot of time to look at this. But I, I do believe there's more. We're identifying suspicious loans every week. Just because it's suspicious, though, doesn't mean it's criminal or that we're going to take any particular action, uh, but it's something that we're going to do a deep dive on. But every week we identify loans like that, and we also receive tips from the public, and those are very helpful. So the example I mentioned before where someone might have purchased a new car with the loan instead of using it for its intended purpose, sometimes people brag, 
and they'll tell their neighbor that they got a new Ford F-150 with COVID money. And sometimes those neighbors don't like to see that, and they will send us an anonymous letter, and they'll let us know what they've seen and draw our attention to something that we weren't previously aware of. And so we, we greatly appreciate any input that the public has in regard to potential COVID fraud. That was Northern West Virginia U.S. Attorney William Elenfeld speaking with Randy Yoey on COVID fraud. You can find details on how the public can help investigate possible COVID fraud on our website, wvpublic.org. With the closing and consolidation of pharmacy chains and independent retailers, patients are left wondering where to go for guidance and their medications. Emily Rice has more. Nationwide, the pharmaceutical industry is undergoing a lot of changes, in part due to the COVID-19 pandemic placing strain on services provided, like vaccinations. According to a 2021 study by GoodRx, more than 40% of counties in the United States are pharmacy deserts, where most people have to drive more than 15 minutes to reach nearby pharmacies. According to the same study, in West Virginia, pharmacy deserts exist in Wirt, Ritchie, Doddridge, Pocahontas, and Pendleton counties. Pharmacies stepped up by offering vaccinations in West Virginia, helping the state lead the nation in early vaccination rates for COVID-19. Now, pharmacies are finding it hard to employ staff to keep stores open. In addition, reimbursement with pharmacies is a real problem. Many of our um, pharmacies right now, when they fill a prescription, they actually lose money on it. And so when you cannot even break even, it's very difficult to keep a pharmacy open. That was Krista Capehart, a clinical professor at WVU School of Pharmacy and the secretary of the West Virginia Pharmacy Association. Pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, are the middlemen in the pharmaceutical industry. Your insurer may cover major medical expenses, but a PBM is contracted to handle the drug benefit. It's not anymore that when you process a claim for a prescription that that's the actual money the pharmacy gets back. Months later, they will, you know, the entity will come back and say, you owe us this much money back. So it, it's hard for any of these pharmacies to to continue to, to function. And yes, the PBMs play a big role in that. West Virginia has really led uh, the nation, I would say, in PBM reform, but it's still very hard to survive in this market. Matt Walker is the executive director and registered lobbyist for the West Virginia Independent Pharmacy Association, a 501c3 organization made up of West Virginia-owned and operated independent community pharmacies. Over the years, what has happened is these local independent community pharmacies have found it difficult to compete uh, with some of the chain pharmacies, and there's several reasons for that. Walker said some patients prefer a mail-order pharmacy, but the largest problem for independent pharmacies is PBMs controlling the supply chain. What PBMs have, have become uh, over the years, instead of only processing pharmacy claims, for insurance companies. They've really become profit-driven organizations that make a lot of money on every pharmaceutical transaction. And they're doing that often to the detriment or at the expense of the pharmacy itself. Before prescriptions became integrated with health benefits, consumers would pay for prescriptions in cash out of pocket. And, and part of that reason is because of just the really complex 
nature of the, the pharmaceutical and drug supply chain from manufacturers to wholesalers to PBMs to pharmacies and down into patients finally. PBMs have been a topic of legislation since the 2017 session. That year, the Pharmacy Integrity Act was signed into law, creating a registry for PBMs and protecting pharmacies from audits. In 2019, Senate Bill 489 required PBMs to be licensed to do business in West Virginia by the Office of the Insurance Commissioner, bringing regulatory oversight to the industry. Legislation for pharmaceutical reform continued to pass each year until 2022, when House Bill 4112 refined the definition of healthcare payer to make clear which health plans the Pharmacy Audit Integrity Act applies to. According to Capehart, the makeup of pharmacies in West Virginia is about half corporate owned and half independently owned and operated. Often, no matter who owns the pharmacy, it is at the hub of communities and their loss is felt deeply. When that community center of your community pharmacy closes, um, no matter what that type of center is, it, it really is a health access issue. Capehart said even if a pharmacy closes, that does not mean the people in that community stopped needing their medications. And what you see is a consolidation of resources. And so you put more prescriptions into a single pharmacy and they just, they can't handle the volume to provide the level of care that was given at other facilities. And every year we see more and more prescriptions written. So it's not like this issue is going to get better. Capehart said payment reform is the first step to improving the pharmaceutical industry. You, know, you have to have payment reform because if a pharmacy is not able to keep their doors open, that's going to be first and foremost. Innovative solutions through new technology could be a way to bridge the gap in care, but that might not be an effective solution for West Virginia. But we also know that one of the things about Appalachia and West Virginia is that our patients prefer face-to-face, one-on-one care. And so how do we do that in the best manner, ensuring that uh, we're able to keep the doors open and staff available? However, to have a well-staffed pharmacy also means paying pharmacists appropriately. But they have to be reimbursed and paid at a level that's appropriate. But again, that comes back to reimbursement appropriately. And so there's there's lots of different ideas that uh, we can work toward. And I think that the pharmacy leaders in the state are really examining those as well as kind of what's happening. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Throughout the year, News Director Eric Douglas has been reporting on caring for older parents in a series of stories called Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents. Coming into the holidays, when families gather together, it might be a good time to pay attention to the signs of the onset of Alzheimer's and dementia. Douglas spoke with Teresa Morris, Program Director for the West Virginia Chapter of the Alzheimer's Association, who outlined the 10 signs to look for. What should I as a family member know to be on the lookout for? What are some of those early warning signs, that sort of thing, that, that, that's going to key to me that, hey, we probably need a, an intervention with a doctor? Right. So the Alzheimer's Association, we have 10 warning signs that we have established and that most physicians kind of use as 
a precursor to more testing. Sure. Um, so these signs would be memory loss that impacts daily life. Um, maybe the person starts forgetting imp- important dates or events. They might forget a doctor's appointment. Um, it's not just dropping a word, though. It, right. It's right. major events, major things that, that should be. Right. Okay. Like maybe you've told the person that you they have a doctor's appointment tomorrow and you'll be there at nine o'clock and you get there and they're still in bed because they don't recall you telling them that they had a doctor's appointment. Okay. So we're going to look for challenges in planning and problem solving. So maybe someone starts having trouble with their bills. You know, someone that has always kept their checkbook pretty tight and then all of a sudden you go in and there's a stack of bills um, and they're just not able to process or be able to complete the the functions of oh this is a bill I I, need to write the check I need to write this check I need to record it in my okay right Um, someone might start having difficulty completing familiar tasks and that might be um, organizing a grocery list it might be needing help with the TV remote. So they might start having confusion with time or place. And, you know, getting confused about the day of the week or not knowing the exact date, that's normal. You know, we all do that. But these folks can lose track of of important dates, even of, of the seasons. Like they have, they might have trouble understanding visual images and spatial relationships. Um... So they might start having trouble with, with balance and even reading. Um, oh, I mean, we're talking like depth perception? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, we're talking about depth perception. We're talking about judging distances. Okay. We're, we're talking about determining different colors and contrasts. So these folks might even start having some trouble um, managing stairs because mm. – they don't see them like you and I would. Interesting. They might have trouble walking through what we call a threshold. So like maybe from carpet to tile on a floor, that change of, of flooring might throw them off a little bit. Interesting. Okay. And they might, you know, you might see a few falls because of that. Um, new problems with, with words and speaking and writing. You're going to notice that these folks have trouble coming up with the words that they're wanting to say. They might stop in the middle of a conversation, sometimes because they really have no idea how to continue. You know, they maybe have forgotten what the topic. So these folks will also start having trouble um, finding things or they start losing things. So you and I do it all the time. I cannot find my phone. (laughs) But if I retrace my, my steps... I, I know what I'm looking for. You know likely where it's going to be. Yes, yes. So these folks might lose something and they might walk into another room, but then they've forgotten what they're looking for or they can't retrace their steps at all. Um, so these folks are going to start having decreased or very poor judgment. Um, they might start using poor judgment or having poor judgment in, in their finances. They, they might start paying less attention to their, their grooming and 
keeping themselves clean. You know, they don't they don't see why, you know, a bath is important. They don't they don't see why you know, paying their bills on time is important. And, and you can see, I think this is where some of, of these folks become victims of some of the elder or, you know, the geriatric scams that are right. out there because, you know, someone tells them, oh, you need this or this is for your daughter. And they're like, oh, okay, you know. You know, I saw that with my mom a lot too, where it would be, you. she got these amazingly convincing looking letters in the mail, right. uh, you know, respond now. This is important from the, and it was. A scam. It was a scam. It was trash. And right. I, as soon as I looked at it, nope. Right. Uh, but, it, and, and the phone calls and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's. It's disturbing how often that happens, actually. That it is. And, and sadly, especially in these early stages, someone who's starting to, to show, they probably know something's a little bit wrong, but they don't want anybody else to know. Yeah. So the last two signs are withdrawing from work or social events. And, and a lot of that is because these folks can't engage in conversation like they once did. And they recognize that, so they don't want to be a part of it. It's the embarrassment again. Yes. They're having trouble thinking of the words they're trying to say. They might not be able to follow the conversation. So they just naturally withdraw. And then the last thing we talk about are changes in mood and personality. Oftentimes, when these changes are happening, again, especially in the early stage, um, they become maybe confused. They become agitated. They, they might be fearful. You know, they might be anxious. And those, and those characteristics would be new to the person. That was Teresa Morris from the West Virginia chapter of the Alzheimer's Association, speaking with Eric Douglas about 10 signs to look for when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia. Visit our website and search for Getting Into Their Reality, Caring for Aging Parents, to see the complete series. As an alternative to the indoor shopping extravaganza known as Black Friday, a movement called Hashtag Opt Outside urges people to get closer to parks, trails, community areas, and the joy of being outdoors on that particular day. WVPB's Randy Yoey took full advantage of the Friday alternative, going on a Blackwater Falls State Park birding hike. So there's several adjustments to make first. And first of all, you have glasses. You don't use these cups. Some binoculars have fold-down Before cups. we left the lodge, I was dressed in layers for a cold woodland walk and beginning to perspire. Laura separately gave the group some binocular tuning tips. A West Virginia master naturalist with a focus on birding separately finally got our small band of birders outside. We did see some crows right off the bat. Separately told the group her parents got her into birding at a young age, and as she got older, a casual hobby became more serious. But when I was getting ready for retirement, I got more serious, and it's a slippery slope, like any hobby. You know, you know first thing you're just looking at birds occasionally, and the next thing you know, your friends are complaining because you never give them eye contact because you're always looking over and seeing things and listening. And, planning trips around what birds you can see, so it's a great hobby to have. That's a black-capped chickadee, plentiful in the mountain state. 
separately says what is most wonderful about wild and wonderful West Virginia's bird population is its diversity. In the summer, our, our, we have these beautiful birds that come back, some of which come all the way from Argentina. Others just come from the southeast. So we have those. We have beautiful resident birds like the cardinal and the chickadees. And then in the winter, we get some birds from the north that we don't see very often, including a lot of waterfowl. So there's the song, and there's a drum that certain birds make, but there's also chip notes, and so that's the thing you hear, like if you're standing near a grass field and you hear just little chip note, chip, 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 chip. Separately explained, it's not all about songs and bird identification. And there's a birding app called Merlin that's a bird watcher's must. It doesn't take a master naturalist to tell that is a woodpecker. Grapesed around the forest for about an hour, not seeing many birds, but getting a beak full of knowledge. Separately says you don't have to be a committed devotee in 2023 and 2024 to enjoy birding. It's a lot more accessible now for people that don't want to devote their life to it because there's all these, like we talked about, these um, apps and uses of your phone that allow you to identify and understand birds in an easier way. Um, there's, um, you get outside and you meet some really nice people. I met some very nice people on this birding hike. I got outside in a state park and I'm proud to say my lifelong streak of never shopping on Black Friday continued with a song, a drum. And a chirp. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie at Blackwater Falls State Park. That's it for West Virginia Week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week. As always, you can see these stories and more at wvpublic.org. I'm Chris Schultz.